0: Let's pray together. Almighty Father, as we come now to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit will be uh, very uh, active in our hearts and minds and that you will teach us, but that you will also change us. Will you apply uh, the Bible to our lives uh, in the particular way that we need and apply it generally to all of us? but? particularize your word to every single one of us and where we're at, um, that we may walk always more close closely with you and that we may know uh, the true eternal wealth that Jesus gives us. We ask this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. And um, if you would please turn back in your service sheets uh, to page 8 and 9, we are looking at that... Um, reading from 2 Corinthians, and today we get to think through how uh, reflecting the beauty of Jesus Christ relates uh, to a life of generosity. Uh, Here at Emmanuel, we talk a lot about the beauty of Jesus Christ. It's right in the heart of our mission statement. Uh, We talk about how, as a church, we exist uh, to see the beauty of Jesus Christ together, and to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ together, and also to reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ. And one of uh, the, uh, f- the, the focus for today is we need to think about how reflecting the beauty of Jesus Christ leads us in, in giving. Um, now, here's the thing. Whenever church leaders start talking about money, um, there's always uh, some questions that come up. And, um, and and some people, not everybody, but some people will get a little uncomfortable with that. Um, some people, for instance, have been uh, deeply burned by church leaders who are always asking for money. Uh, if you've been around here at Emmanuel for a long time, I, I, I hope that's not the sense that you've gotten. Um, other people have been spiritually abused, and, and I use that advisedly, but that's what it is, spiritually abused by... Uh, Profoundly heretical teaching that centers on money. Uh, others, yet again, um, actually really, really want to give, but they find any talk about giving really discouraging because as much as they want to give, um, there are very real financial uh, pressures that, um, that that just make it uh, just extremely difficult. And then, once again, there are other people who... See, money is just fundamentally a private thing and, and just not the business to be discussed in church. Now, I don't know whether you fell into any one of those categories or none of them at all, um, but here's what I want to point out right away. This reading from 2 Corinthians, which is governing our discussion today, um, this reading is not in the first instance about our wallets. It, it has to do with money, absolutely it does, but it at the first instance, it's about our heart. Put differently, the question that we need to ask ourselves today is this. How deeply have we internalized the grace of Jesus Christ? And I ask it that way because of this. The more deeply we internalize Jesus' grace, the more free we will be to live a life of comprehensive generosity, not just, um, not merely financial giving, though importantly financial giving, but a whole life of generosity. So um, this text is gonna be more than just about giving and amounts. In fact, um, the Bible is very, very clear that you can give an enormous amount of money but still have a heart that is not profoundly generous and it is not reflecting the beauty of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, you can give a very, very small amount. But, but that even that little small amount can be um, the evidence of a heart that is completely given over to Jesus Christ because of his grace and is profoundly reflecting Jesus' generosity and it is a delight to the soul of Christ himself. So the question is not so much, um, you know, how much do I give? The question that we need to wrestle with today is, uh, do I have a giving heart that's shaped by Jesus? And therefore, let's look at this passage, and you'll see how uh, Paul is addressing this heart issue and how it, uh, as the Lord does this transforming work in our heart, it relates to the life of generosity. Take a look at the text. Uh, Let me set the reading up quickly. There are um, three groups that you need to be aware of in order to understand this reading. Pages 8 and 9. The Apostle Paul is the writer of this letter uh, to the Corinthians, and he is in the process of raising money for a group of Christians in Jerusalem who were really, really struggling. There had been a famine in uh, the area around Jerusalem, and so Paul is, in, is in, traveling around um, running a relief effort for them. And he's writing this letter to a group of Christians in the city of Corinth. That's why we call it the, the letter to the Corinthians. Corinth is in southern Greece, so a long way from uh, Jerusalem. And the Corinthians, as far as we can, can tell, most of them were kind of comfortably middle class. And it appears that the church at Corinth um, uh, they, they like to they like to talk big. They like it appears that this church really liked to talk big about almost everything, but they particularly like to talk big about giving. Um, they were pro generosity. They liked giving to good causes. Um, however. Uh, they had committed, uh, like a year before this, they had committed to uh, raising money to support the Christians in Jerusalem, but then their, their giving, their actual giving, had lagged behind their rhetoric about giving, and now Paul is writing to them saying, hmm, we need to, uh, we, we need to catch up with your ideals, Corinth, because you, you made some commitments and you need, you need to follow through with them. Now, we'll come back to the Corinthians, but Paul also, very importantly... Talks about the Macedonians. Macedonia was in the north of Greece, still is. And the Macedonian Christians were kind of the opposite of the Corinthians. So the Corinthians had resources, the Macedonians were poor. The Corinthians talked a lot about all kinds of things, but the uh, Macedonians were marked by action, they gave. And so now, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, listen, Corinthians, um, I love you. You guys are impressive. You're impressive in everything you do. Verse 7, you excel in everything. Then Paul says, but i got to tell you, um, you could learn a thing or two from your poorer brothers up north in Macedonia. Take a look at the reading. Because here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to show you three odd things about the Macedonians and three odd characteristics of their generosity. And then when we talk about these three odd characteristics of their generosity, then we'll talk about what it is that drove the Macedonians to give so generously. Here's the first odd thing about the Macedonian practice of giving. For the Macedonians, giving was a joy, not a duty. Take a look at verse 1. Paul says... Writing to the Corinthians, we want you to know, Corinthians, about the grace of God that was been given among the churches in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, here it is, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed with a wealth of generosity on their part. And then skip to verse 4. Paul says, the Macedonians have been begging us earnestly for the favor, interestingly, that word favor is in the original, it's grace, for the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. Okay, Um, I want you to think about uh, giving, your experience of of giving. And and, um, I was thinking about this week. Imagine you're in Bryant Park, because every time I'm in in Bryant Park, this happens to me. Um, Imagine you're in Bryant Park, and you're walking along, and then somebody uh, very earnest comes up to you and stops you and wants to talk to you, and you're too polite to just walk around them, and so you start talking to them. And they tell you about um, a, a, a terrible thing happening somewhere in the world, right? And, um, and, and it's a terrible thing that you care about, and so your heart is kind of tugged. And then um, at the critical moment, because they're good at what they do, right at the critical moment they say, don't you want to give to this important cause? And you're sitting there, and, and, and you're like, well, of course I want to give to this important cause, and then you have an awkward interaction with yourself and possibly with them. Now, imagine in that situation, I don't know if that happens to you. It happens to me every time I, I go to that place, which I love, but anyways. Imagine you, you, you imagine you give. There on the street corner, you, you, you give to, to some reputable charity. Why are you giving in that moment? What's your motive? I expect that... There's a lot of answers to that question. But tell me if you think I'm right. For a lot of us, it seems to me that in that moment, very likely, we are giving, if we do, we are giving out of a sense of duty. We are often giving maybe out of a sense of guilt. Uh, Maybe we're giving because we don't really want to make eye contact contact with this person and say, no, I'm not going to. Um, we, We are giving in that moment, many of us, in one way or another, because somehow, some way, we sort of feel like we should. Now, whatever you think about that, maybe you would have a very different response to that. Here's the point. The Macedonians gave differently. The Macedonians gave not out of a sense of duty or should or guilt, but out of a sense of joy. It was something that they wanted to do. In fact, you get the sense as you read through the book that Paul doesn't really want to ask them to give. It almost seems like Paul's a little reluctant for the Macedonians to be involved in giving. Um, He's looking at the Macedonian Christians. They are poor. Paul doesn't want to burden them. But then... Then the Macedonians hear about what Paul is up to. They hear about uh, Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering. And they rejoice at the privilege of giving to them. And they come to Paul. And it appears that they confront Paul. And they say, Paul, don't exclude us because we're poor. We want to give. They they say, Paul, don't stand in front of our joy. We want to give. They give out of joy. What explains that? Well, we'll come back to that question. But that's the first odd thing about the Macedonians, is they gave out of joy, not out of duty. Here's the second odd thing, though, about the Macedonians and their giving. They gave not out of their surplus. This is going to be challenging for some of us. Not out of their surplus, but out of their poverty. Look at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, that's the first thing, and then the second thing is, and out of their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, very often when people think about giving, they think about giving out of their surplus, and that makes all the sense in the world. Um, The most obvious way to give is that I give out of the extra I have left over after I've use my resources for what it is that I need or want. And, And that makes sense. It's surely the most intuitive way to give. But what's odd here is that that's just not what the Macedonians are doing. Again, the Apostle Paul isn't pressuring them. He's probably doing the opposite. But nevertheless, right in the middle of their experience of scarcity, Once again, they heard about Christians in Jerusalem, Christians that they had never met, but from whom they had received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they hear about them suffering, and they jump into action. And that action, that giving, meant sacrifice. They felt the sting of giving. They gave beyond the pain point. So that it was actually sacrificial so that um, there were certain things that they uh, had to not do or that they couldn't buy because they had given. And that's odd. And I can, I can imagine people uh, coming back and saying, I'm not even sure that that's a good idea. But it's what they did. What motivated that? We'll come back to that question. But here's now, the first thing is that they gave out of joy, not duty. Secondly, they gave out of their poverty, not their surplus. But then the third odd thing about the Macedonians is... I struggle to know how to say this. Their giving was not primarily directed towards the needy. Their giving was primarily directed towards the Lord. Look at verse 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us and implied to the effort. Now, this is crucial because this is when we begin to see what it is um, that motivated, spiritually, the um, Macedonians to give. The main thing that drove them was not their love for the needy Christians in Jerusalem. Did they love the needy Christians in Jerusalem? Of course they did, greatly. But it wasn't the main thing that drove their desire to give and their joy. The main thing that drove them was their love for Jesus Christ. So Paul says that the Macedonians gave. When they gave, they were giving not just some of their resources, but they were giving their souls. They were giving themselves to the Lord. And their allegiance to the Lord just made it the most natural thing in the world for them to give also to Christians in Jerusalem. And that order and that priority is really, really crucial. First to the Lord, then to the needy. Now, the question that we need to wrestle through for the rest of our time is what is it that motivated that kind of odd generosity? The Corinthians were much more wealthy. But despite that, they were much less generous. What is it that can take a a, a heart that wants to cling on to what we have and consume, and a heart that's stingy, what is it that can take that kind of heart and open it up and make it generous like the Macedonians? And the answer is in verse 9. Look at verse 9. Paul says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now that verse sums up the gospel as well as just about any other verse I'm aware of in the Bible. And when I use the word gospel, some of us will know this, some of us this will be unclear. When when I use the word gospel, what I mean is that the the central message of Christianity. um, The central message of Christianity is not... Uh, follow Jesus' teachings, and you'll be a better person. That's true, but that's not the central message of Christianity. The central message of Christianity is is not follow Jesus' teachings and you'll you'll be happy and amazing. Um, There is great happiness in following Jesus, but that's not the central message. The central message of Christianity is verse 9. It's a story of what Jesus has done and this wonderful exchange that Jesus has affected. So, it's a story about how from all eternity past, uh, Jesus Christ, fully God, enjoyed all the wealth and the resources and the joy and the happiness of being God. And, And Jesus didn't need anything at all. And yet, with all that infinite wealth and resource, the eternal Son of God, who we would later call Jesus Christ, looked down and saw us humans in our poverty. What kind of poverty? Financial poverty? Yes, but deeper kinds of poverty, like the poverty of our guilt and the poverty of our sin and the poverty of, the, uh, of our mortality and our certain death, um, the poverty of our broken relationships and the, the brokenness that we have suffered from other people and the brokenness that we have perpetrated on other people. He saw us in this deep spiritual poverty, and God the Son, Jesus, saw us in our poverty and decided to respond by voluntarily becoming poor himself. What does that mean? Well, he became human. He became human, and he became vulnerable until his vulnerability went to the extreme, and he died upon the cross, and, and in a remarkable way, when he died upon the cross, he was taking the consequences of all our poverty upon himself, all of our uh, spiritual poverty, the consequences of our guilt and our shame and our the wickedness that we have perpetrated, all of that came upon him, and then when he, three days later, after dying, he rose again, and here's the thing. When Jesus rose again, one of the best ways to understand it is that Jesus rose again in order to give all of his eternal wealth away. What kind of wealth is that? Well, all that he has enjoyed for all eternity past, he pours out in grace upon uh, those who belong to him. So he is the eternal son of God, and he gives us the wealth of adoption so that we can call God Father. Um, Jesus is perfectly innocent and righteous. He has a perfect past. And he gives that to us when he forgives us of all our sin and wipes away all our guilt. Um, He has the right to an eternal uh, future of life with God and perfect eternal joy for forever. And he gives that wealth to all those who belong to him. Jesus just pours out wealth that he has enjoyed from all eternity on those of us who belong to him, not because we deserve it, but because he achieved it. And what that means is that if you are a Christian, your fundamental identity is that Jesus has poured out wealth upon you. If you have given your allegiance to him, that he has poured out eternal wealth upon you. Is that the way you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as eternally wealthy? If you're a Christian, then by definition, you are a beneficiary of of infinite generosity. And if you hear that story and it just kind of uh, just sort of ricochets off your heart, if if you hear that story and you're like, eh, eh, I'm I'm unmoved, I'm unmoved. If if that's where you're at, then with, I I, I would just want to say this, and this is a tough thing for me to say, but I I say it, I hope in kindness, Um, that may be an indication that that you're not, you do not yet belong to Jesus. And I say that to invite you to, to give Jesus your spiritual poverty and receive his eternal wealth and give him the deepest allegiance of your heart, and you will know eternal wealth for forever. And it's just, it's so precious that to miss it is eternal tragedy. Now, keep all this in mind, and and let's come back to giving. Because it's Jesus' grace, this verse 9, that explains Macedonian generosity. Because Jesus' grace, his unmerited, generous kindness to people who don't deserve it, it had so filled the Macedonian lives. It had so animated their church. It had so captivated their hearts that giving became the most natural thing in the world for them to do. Why wouldn't they give? You see... The grace of Jesus made giving a joy, not a duty, for the Macedonians. Why is it that it was a joy, not a duty? It's because they had, because of all that they had received from Jesus Christ. Jesus' grace became the dominant story in their lives. And so that when they thought about Jesus' generosity, it was just natural that they wanted to emulate them. Um, imagine right now a, a young girl watching World Cup. And she she watches some of her heroes in the World Cup, and then at some point she throws off the TV, she grabs her football or soccer ball, whatever it is that we call it, and runs out to the park and starts practicing. Why? Because she wants to emulate her heroes. She's been captivated by the story of that match, and she goes out and she emulates it, and you don't even have to explain why she emulates it, because you just know if you've ever had that experience at all of being compelled by something, and that's what the Macedonians would say. They would look at you and you'd say, why Why are you so joyful and giving? And they'd say, have you heard the story of Jesus? I shouldn't have to explain it. It's just natural. I want to emulate his kindness and generosity. It's a delight. But then secondly, the grace of Jesus also explains why it is that the Macedonians could give despite their poverty. And this one might be a little more tricky. Remember that the Macedonians had internalized Jesus' grace. And therefore, they did not fundamentally think that they were poor. They knew that they didn't have much in the bank account, but poverty was not their primary identity. Their primary identity was that in Jesus Christ, they are beneficiaries of eternal wealth. They knew that they had a Father in heaven who is not short of cash, and they knew that they had a Father in heaven who had given his Son to to, uh, uh, fetch them home eternally, and therefore, they had a Father who loves to take care of them. They knew that they had an eternal future that is secure, and that meant that they could live life in the midst of the realities and the nitty-gritty of this world and the difficulties of paying bills. They could live more free than most wealthy people ever can. Do you see verse 15 quoted there? Verse 15, very at the end, there's these inverted commas, those quotes. That quote comes from, you know, it says that those who gathered much didn't have too much, those who gathered little didn't have too little. It comes from the book of Exodus, and the story is, Israel is deeply poor, they're in the desert, there's no food, but the Lord gives food to them every single day, G- uh, gives them daily bread. Not too much, not too little, just enough. And through that, they get to learn uh, dependence upon God. And in that story, those who were trying to hoard daily bread, have, uh, they, they were trying to collect more bread than they needed for that day, that was a sign of self-reliance, not God-reliance. Now bring that to the Macedonians because what happened is the Macedonians had high confidence in God's goodness and that set them free to give even into sacrifice. Now this is where um, we all need to walk carefully here, okay? So can we walk carefully for a few minutes? Um, I need to say a a bunch of things that are going to sound almost contradictory, uh, but they're not. Let me try. On the one hand, hoarding wealth, particularly when it is driven by fear and anxiety, can be a sign of self-reliance and not God-reliance, and it can be a sign that you you are in spiritual slavery to money. Jesus wants to set you free. On the other hand... Does that mean that saving is a bad idea? No. Everyone here should be saving. But when Jesus' grace frees you, one indicator of that freedom will be that you will want to give, and you'll want to give wisely, but you'll want to give beyond the pain threshold. Verse 13 is clear. This is... Uh, Another, on the other hand, verse 13 is clear that the point of giving isn't to burden us. Um, We shouldn't give away what we legitimately need. If we're giving away um, what we legitimately need, that may be a sign that we're trying to earn something from God. That's a misunderstanding of the gospel. Please don't hear that. But it does mean, on the other hand, that giving assumes a very high priority in the Christian life. That a Christian, the more compelled we are by the gospel, the more uh, we will aspire to give courageously and adventurously and joyfully, not because we want to be great philanthropists and be remembered for it, but because Jesus Christ has given us eternal wealth. And that brings us to the last thing. Grace-driven giving is not really finally about money. It's finally about a heart given to the Lord. Look at verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what that person does not have. It's not really about amounts. It's about readiness. And readiness is a heart issue. Readiness is about deeply internalizing Jesus' generosity to you so that your heart warms and responds to the kindness of Jesus Christ and says, Jesus, you have given me absolutely everything that I can ever eternally need. All that I am belongs to you in response. I desire that my money might reflect that reality. I desire that my energies might Reflect that reality. I desire that my time might reflect that reality. Show me, Lord Jesus, the privilege and the joy and the pleasure of giving. Use my gifts, all of them financial gifts, uh, 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 talents, abilities, opportunities. Use all that I am for your glory um, and liberate my heart so that I can live freely and give freely and bless people around me. Emmanuel, Jesus wants us to reflect his beauty in the way we give. And that leads me to, um, to, to say that um, if you're sitting here right now and, and, and you find yourself honestly, you're kind of looking at it and going, ugh, I just want my cash. Um, if you feel burdened by any of this, if you dread it, if it feels like a duty... If that's where you are, then let me say, um, just stop thinking about money for a minute. And maybe you shouldn't give. Maybe giving would compound the problem. Jesus doesn't need your cash, but he does demand your heart. And it is a happy, glorious thing to be set free by Jesus. So bring yourself to Jesus Christ. And remember that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And look at Jesus and his generosity until your heart warms, until your heart warms to Christ and you find yourself saying, Yes, Lord Jesus, I want all that I am to be yours. And in that moment, your heart will rise up and cry out against you and demand the joy of generosity. Amen? Amen.